2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we'll be this morning. We'll look at verses 13 through 18. Um, At the beginning of this year, uh, me and our elders, we got in front of you and we said, hey, we, the theme that we want to see happen in the life of our church for 2017 is to be a healthy church. And one of the ways that we kind of highlighted that is we want to see our members healthy. We want to see our membership grow. Um, we've tried to have better on-ramps for people to join the church by providing for you Starting Point, which the, first one, the next one I think is August 6th. And if you've never been to Starting Point, it's a great chance for you to know who we are and know what our DNA is and what we're like. Uh, the other thing is just we wanted to work better on our membership roster. So we kind of revamped some things and, and changed some of that. Uh, another result of a healthy church is we added community and prayer night to sort of our, our quarterly rhythm as a church. And so um, we've done that because we want healthy members. And um, so you may not know this, but every May, our team, our leadership team with elders, deacons, staff, uh, we take an annual retreat just about every May. And for that, for that retreat, we always try to pray for things in the life of the church that we hope to see. And so as we begin to think about healthy church, that's the theme of our, of our year. Uh, like what do we want to see happen for our church to get more healthy? And so one of the things that we landed on and what, what kind of theme kept coming back is we, as we prayed, as we whiteboard, as we talked, we discussed, we said, man, the greatest thing that we'd like to see in our church would be a better evangelistic culture in our church. And this would look like where people began to live out the gospel in a very tangible and real way. And so as we begin to think, okay, how do we capture this? How do we get people to see this purpose, this, to see that uh, we want a greater evangelistic culture? We as we prayed and as we discussed, we came up with this statement, or we call them plumb lines, that we hope would capture the attention of our people with the hopes to create a better evangelistic culture. And that plumb line is really simple. It just says this, every member is a missionary. Every member is a missionary. It's a very simple statement, but it has a lot of implications. Think about how much the gospel would spread if we saw ourselves as people of Integrity Church, but as missionaries. Think about how many times and we're gathered in our small group and we share things when, in our community about how we're praying or how we're reading the word, but also what becomes a part of our natural uh, rhythm is also talking about people that we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Think about how if we saw every member as a missionary, think about how that would change the way that we position our lives, the way that we set our schedules, the way that we set our time and who we spend our time with. Think about how this would really affect every area of our life. And so my goal today is for us to see how we as a church can get to a place where we actually see and live out this concept of every member is a missionary. And this is what Paul is going to communicate to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So let me give you a little context of what's happening in verses 13 through 14. This letter, 2 Corinthians, is perhaps Paul's final letter, letter out of several letters that he's written to the church of Corinth. 
As the gospel had gone forward in Corinth, Paul was there for 18 months. He established a church. He, he raised up leaders. He raised up disciples, uh, gifted teachers, great gospel witness in a perverse city. But after Paul left, there were several people who came behind him and tried to undo some of the hard missionary work that Paul had set forth. And these people were false teachers who didn't like Paul. They didn't like the gospel. They didn't want to see people's lives transformed by the saving power of Jesus. And so they began to try to discredit Paul. They began to try to tell people in the church of Corinth that Paul wasn't a a real apostle, that he was a phony, that he was a fake. And so what Paul begins to do in 2 Corinthians is he begins to argue that he is legit, that his message is legit and that his mission is legit. And one of the ways that he does that is by telling the church of Corinth, hey, if you don't believe that my message is real, look around you. Because what you'll see is life change. People who have been made new, which is why we call the series Made New, by the gospel. And so this has been sort of the theme that's been running through 2 Corinthians. Paul has been trying to defend his ministry and his message. But now what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, these clowns, these false teachers are back on the scene. And what they're trying to do now is they're trying to show that what Paul has done, all the hard work that Paul's put forth, he, they're trying to credit themselves to that. They're saying, hey, you see the life change. Well, that's because you really listen to me and not Paul. And what I love about Paul is Paul is a humble man. Paul had every right to be boastful and proud for all the great ministry work that he did but he doesn't. Paul could have gotten angry at these men who try to take credit for all the work that he's put in. If I were Paul, I would want to go all Rocky Mount on these guys and try to fight them or something. But Paul doesn't do that because he sees himself as a missionary who's sent by God. And my hope is this morning that we would share Paul's perspective of how he sees his life. And so we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll look in verse 13. Paul says this, but we, and he's talking about himself, along with the other people that he shared uh, the, the ministry load with. He says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Here's why Paul wasn't bothered that these false teachers tried to come in and take credit for his ministry. It's because Paul believed that God had sovereignly placed Paul in Corinth for the perfect amount of time at the right time that God wanted him to be there. Notice the language of the text. Paul says, we will, not base, we, will, we will not boast beyond our, what's the word? Limits. We'll, we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Paul's referring to himself and those who he planted with, but what is he boasting in? And what are they allowed to boast in? They're allowed to boast only in where God had decided before the foundation of the world, decided to place them there at that time to reach those people. In other words, Paul, it's like Paul saying this. We can't take credit because this is where God wanted us to be. We, this isn't our territory. This is God's territory. And so here's what I want you to see in this Integrity Church. 
If we want to see our life as mission, we need to feel the weight of what Paul is saying here. For so many of us, I I see this argument all the time. I've been in Greenville for almost a decade. I see this argument all the time. People are like, well, once I have this part of my life more established, I'll be more missional. I'll live on mission. Once I get out of college or once I get out of grad school or once I have that particular job that pays me this much, that puts me in this neighborhood, then I'll start to live on mission. Then I'll start to share the gospel. And we see it all the time with people in Greenville. This is a very transient city. People come and go. People come for school. They come to work as residents. They come for training. They come for a job. And then sometimes they'll move on to other things, clearly outside of God's will. Um, That was a joke. Um, Here's what I've seen. The people that really get what Paul is saying here are typically the ones who love where they live, no matter where they are. And, And so I struggle, though, because there's people who don't get what Paul is saying, and they're discontent everywhere. And they move to, move to Greenville, and they're always trying to compare Greenville to the last place they lived. And so they're like this, man, I would just love it here more if we had a super target. <laughs> if we just had that Trader Joe's, y'all saw on social media, it's coming. It's probably not coming, all right? I love you. I want it. I've been praying for it. I fasted over it. It's not coming. It's not. I don't know why. I want a mall. If we just had a mall that made more sense, I would love it. You know, and like we just have these, these things, these blocks that we say, okay, I would, I would be able to do all the things that God wants me to do if I had more of this, if we had more of this. And we always want to add to it. But seriously, what is it that makes us content? What makes you content if you're in Christ? is living with a mission and believing that God has you where he wants you for a reason. In other words, students, if you're in Christ, you think the number one reason why I've come to Greenville, become an ECU pirate or go to Pitt Community College, the reason why I do that, the reason why I do that is so that I would further my education and get this job. No, no, let me tell you this. It's one of the reasons. It's not even, but it's not the primary reason. The primary reason why God has you here is so that he would use you to further his gospel. God has sovereignly not just put you here to be, have a certain um, career, uh, uh, what, what do you call it, a major for in college, which you'll change four or five times. That thing that God has put you, that desire that you have to go and do something, he's put you here to further the gospel, even with that desire, even though it will probably change. All those people that God has put you in, next to you in class, next to you in your dorm room, next to you in a lab, next to you in your fraternity, next to you in your Bible study, every person that God has placed in your life is so that you would, by God's sovereignty, use this time that you have here to further the gospel. Not only that, God's uniquely gifted you with a spiritual gift. 
God's uniquely gifted you with a unique story, whether you came from a broken home or you grew up in a Christian home or maybe you have certain likes or dislikes about movie or movies and culture and music. All of those things, God has like uniquely made you and designed you so that those that you interact with, they become, they become the best person to hear the gospel from you. Everybody. This happens in every stage or any season of life, if you get what Paul's saying. If you're in a workplace and God puts you on a job site next to a Cowboys fan who clearly needs Jesus, you would be the one to share the gospel with them. And God has sovereignly put you there for that reason. If God puts you in a cubicle next to that lady who still watches The Bachelor can't believe that show is still on. God, in his creative kindness, placed you there because you are the best person to share the gospel with them. And I want you to see that. You are the best person to share the gospel with them because you are the believer that God has chosen to put around them. And this is even true for me. I've like had to be intentional thinking about this. Like my family, we just moved uh, just a little under a mile from this building And as I've been thinking about, like, okay, I'm the best person right now that I know of that's going to share the gospel with these people around me, with this neighbor on this side and with this neighbor. So I've been really intentional about trying to meet my neighbors. Like, I've seen my neighbor out front. I've got to go check the mail, even though I've already checked the mail, but I'm going to act like I'm checking the mail so I can have this conversation with this person so I can know their name. And so I've already met the neighbors in front of me and the neighbors beside me. And I've done that intentionally. Look, I'm an introvert. I'm comfortable there. I'm comfortable being by myself. I'm comfortable not seeing people and being around them. But I say, look, I have to see myself as mission. I have to see my life as mission. I have to see my family as mission. If I want to live this way, I've got to own what Paul is saying here. God is, Paul is saying this, wherever you are, that's, where, that's the limits that God is putting on you to share the gospel wherever you go. And so my hope is if you're, waiting for your life to matter, if you're waiting and saying, okay, once I get this one thing done, then I'm going to start living out the gospel, living on mission, you probably won't unless you get this. If you want to be at the center of God's will, everybody, I mean, so many younger people, and they say, man, I just want to be in the center of God's will. I don't want to know what God's will for my life is. Here's God's will for your life. Obey the word of God and share the gospel wherever he has you. If you do that, you're in the will of God. Congratulations. That's the secret of God's will for your life. Don't wait for this or that to happen for you to live on mission. Start sharing the gospel now. Don't miss what God has put before you. Paul, the reason why Paul was not upset that these false teachers came in behind him and tried to take credit is because he didn't, his identity wasn't wrapped up in what he did. He knew it was all about Jesus And if we do what Paul does, we feel less attached to the world and we feel more attached to the opportunities that God has put before us. And so my hope is that we would grasp this truth and see what Paul says. We'll not boast beyond our limits. We'll boast only with regard to the area of influence that God has assigned to us. Do you see that this place that you live in or this neighborhood that you live in, this job that you have is not just a job that you got hired for. It's an assignment that was given to you by God so that the gospel would be, uh, would be taught and shared throughout the world. Anybody excited about that? I'm excited about this. Okay, good. 
Verse 15, Paul takes it further. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that your, as your faith increases, notice that, as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Now, if you've been tracking with this series and if you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that this church that Paul is communicating to, the church of Corinth, is an utter mess. The church is full of people who became believers, but then as these false teachers have come in, there's people now in the church who are denying the resurrection. They're falling into sexual morality. They've had issues of favoritism, bragging about spiritual gifts, self-centeredness. It's just a hot mess. But I love Paul's confidence that he has in Christ. But if you look at chapters 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians, you'll see it. Paul is uh, showing them how he's seen the Holy Spirit working in their life. And now what you see, Paul, where he could be very discouraged that some of these people are following these false teachers. No, Paul says this in verse 15. He says, we don't boast uh, beyond the limits of the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Notice he says, as your faith increases. In other words, Paul is assuming that they are going to continue to grow in Christ. You see that? Paul is assuming the Holy Spirit is working in their life and they're going to continue to grow and mature in Christ. And so not only that, but Paul says, so that we might, in verse 16, preach the gospel in lands beyond you. So Paul is saying, I'm seeing the gospel work, even though this is a hot mess, even though you're kind of falling into sin and kind of falling toward these false teachers, I know the Holy Spirit lives in you. I know that you're made new, and I know that God is going to finish what he started in you to begin with. But not only that, as you grow, be intentional to see that the gospel will go and lands beyond you. This is bigger than you, Corinth. And I love this because in just two verses, we see something familiar It sounds a lot like the mission of our church, mature and multiply believers to leave a gospel legacy. Paul doesn't just want to see them grow in their love for the Lord, but he wants to see them grow in a way that the gospel might advance. And that's our hope here as a church. We want believers to grow in their love for Christ in a way that the gospel reaches, as Paul would say, as Paul does say, in lands beyond you. But when we talk about our mission, when we say, We want believers to mature and multiply. Those two things aren't something that you can separate. It's not that you can have one without the other because maturing in the gospel is also multiplying the gospel. In other words, if you can grow deep theologically in your understanding of God and your understanding of the Lord and your understanding of Scripture, it should lead to multiplication. If you think you're deep theologically, but you never share the gospel, you're not that deep. That's what I'm saying. You're not that deep. When you truly mature in Christ, you cannot contain it. You will want to share it wherever you go. So as a church, yes, we want you to be content where God has you, to serve where you are, to share the gospel where you live and where you work, where you you play. But at the same time, we want you to multiply by preaching the gospel in lands beyond us. We want to be a church that wants to take the gospel to unreached people groups, 
to places that the gospel is never heard. I want to plant more churches in eastern North Carolina. And I tell you that because a lot of times we talk about the success of a church. We fall into the Western mindset. Oh, the success of a church, man, it's got to be how many people show up on a Sunday morning, right? That idea is foreign to Scripture. And what we hope for the health of our church is not necessarily our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. How many are we sending out for the sake of the gospel? Our desire is that people would mature, but they would multiply. And that's what Paul's desire is in Corinth. And I love what he does in these last two verses. He ties it all in together. Look at verse 17. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Paul's saying, listen, you're doing all these different people. They try to take credit for who did this and who did that. Was it Paul? Was it Corinth? Was it the church of Corinth? Who was it? Was it these false teachers? Paul says, no, no, no. Let me just clear it all up. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul here is actually quoting from Jeremiah 9, where the prophet Jeremiah is declaring God's wisdom in comparison to the people of Israel. The people of Israel had gotten full of pride, and they began to take this ownership of like, we've done this. We got out of the promised land. We can defeat all these enemies. And, and then what the prophet Jeremiah does is says, no, 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 don't forget where it came from. He says this, and I'll just read Jeremiah 9, verse 23 to 24. This is a great little section to memorize. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. What does the prophet say? It's the Lord who gives us everything. So what is it that you and I actually could boast about? Nothing. Paul, as he reflects on the gospel in Galatians 6, verse 14, he says, but far be it from me, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think how silly and prideful we can be when we boast in ourselves. We become like children. How quickly we forget that everything comes from the Lord. It's almost like we have to remind ourselves every day, everything I have comes from the Lord. I remember when I was showing my youngest son, Finn, or my oldest son, Finn, how to play basketball. We got a little hoop to put over the door, you know, like the one little hooks on it, and you hang it on the door of his bedroom. And at that time, he was about four years old, and he couldn't throw the ball up. So he would just throw it like this, like at the basketball. No, that's not how you shoot. You know, you have to do the little square, you know, fingertip control, backspin, follow through, anybody play basketball. Um, And so we would work on that, and he, you know, he couldn't do it. So what I would do is just do what every dad has done since basketball hoops. I picked him up, and then what does he do? He dunks it. Which, that's kind of odd. Like, he's never going to dunk as an adult unless he has some skill that's outside of my DNA range. Like, so I'm, like, setting him up for failure, right? Like, you're going to dunk now, but later you will not dunk. Like, um, but have fun playing basketball. So we, we've been doing, so we've been dunk, pick it up. I want to dunk it, Dad. Pick him up, dunk it. Like, my arms are sore. We just keep, you know, dunk over and over. And I remember later on, 
um, we're watching a basketball game, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting beside each other, and this guy gets a steal, and he goes fast break, and I'm thinking, we're all, you know, Finn and I are like, look, and he's going to dunk it, and he just lays it in, and Finn was like, Psh. he goes, he didn't even dunk it. He goes, I'm four years old. Even I can dunk it. And I was sitting there going, you cannot dunk it. Like, I didn't know what to say, but I was like, you're right. You should have, you know. But that is how silly you and I are. Is it not? I'm like, no, no, you can't dunk it, dude. I had to just pick you up and you do it. It's the same thing with us. Like, we share the gospel. Someone becomes a believer. We can't take credit for that. God did that. God did that. When we disciple somebody, we see them grow in Christ. God did that. We did every little thing that we've done. Even a, a test that we've passed, even the job that we've succeeded in, we can't boast in anything. It is anything that you've been given, it's been given to you by God. And I'm not saying, man, you need to boast and say, oh, but praise God, every little thing that you accomplished. I'm not saying you have to like Tebow it every time you send a good email in the middle of your office. I'm not saying that you have to do these things. But I am saying we got to acknowledge where everything comes from we got to recognize, man, we can't boast in anything besides Christ. And I know, man, when we preach on pride as a pastor, it's sort of like counterproductive because preaching on pride is sort of, you have this dilemma where to preach on pride and the person who has it actually always thinks that we're talking about somebody else. Talk about pride. They're like, oh, man, I'm so glad he's talking about pride. She here. You know, like we never get the weight of it. But this is the attitude of the false teachers. They have so much pride. The false teacher said, I'll take credit for all the things that Paul's done. I want all the glory for what Paul's done and how silly and how quickly this can just get away from us. I remember um, when I was in high school, I went to Chicago for like a missions conference and I was with other high school students and the intent of the conference was to help teenagers share the gospel where they lived. And so we would go out into the inner city of Chicago in and, and pairs of people, and we'd go and go door-to-door and share the gospel or share the gospel in the coffee shops or at the park or whatever it is. And we, we would learn how to do it, and they would help us, and they have little workshops. And then at night, we would have like a big worship service, and then there was some practical teaching and preaching about evangelism and sharing the gospel. And then after, we would have like a little breakout session where the, we would uh, break up in little small groups. And it was like a leader conducting it. And small groups for like teenagers and that kind of thing, they're always, you never know what you're going to hear. And so I remember sitting in this group, and it was about 10 or 12 of us. So the guy was like, hey, who's shared the gospel? We all got an opportunity. And anyone except Christ. And so, you know, somebody's going to share. And this one girl, I'll never forget it. It was just, it was hysterical, like, as I think back on it now. She goes, well, I actually led four people to Christ. And it was, you could already tell she was already like, yeah, I did this, you know. And she's like, well, but, and then I went with Elizabeth here, and, you know, she didn't do as well as I did. And so my fourth one, the fourth person that I wanted to Christ, she helped me with it. So I'm going to give that one to her, and I'll take the other three. So she led one person to Christ. I actually led four to Christ. And I remember sitting there thinking, something's wrong with that. Like, I remember in high school going, I don't know why, what's wrong with that, but something is wrong with that. And here's what's wrong with that. Sharing the gospel really doesn't have anything to do with us. It's not our salvation to give. It's his. It's not our mission. It's his. It's not our plan. It's his. He just allowed you and I, as his children, to be a part of his redeeming work. And what a privilege that we have before us. 
What do you think it's going to be like when we get to heaven? You ever think about that? Is it going to be like those songs that we say, thank you for giving to the Lord? We're going to, you know, is it going to be like these things where we congratulate each other for all the things that we've done for each other? And we say, man, I'm so thankful. Let's just give it up for, for Eddie for leading a good small group. You know, is that what it's going to be like? Is that what it's going to be like? Here's the thing. I don't think it's going to be like that at all. I don't, think there's any, I don't think there's any vain boasting in heaven. Here's why I can say that, because that is what Scripture says. When we see John in the book of Revelation, he gets a vision of heaven and what it's going to be like. This is what he sees. Let me just read to you what John sees. Revelation 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with wings, are full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease they never cease to say holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come revelation 4 verse 11 worthy are you O lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10. And they, meaning all believers, sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. For you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10. And after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. And behold, the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all God's people said what? Amen. This is what we will do in heaven. This is what believers will do. And guess what? We'll love it. And it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around that. Why? It's because we're so invested in congratulating ourselves. No, for the first time, you won't even think about congratulating yourself because you'll see the Almighty God standing before you, and it will be amazing to you. It'll blow your minds. You, won't even, you can't even comprehend it now. But that is what you'll do here. And finally, we'll see that everything we did here on earth, every time we said, I'm going to live my life on mission, I'm going to make a sacrifice here on earth, finally, when you get to heaven, you see Christ for the first time, and you see the multitudes worshiping him, you'll say, everything I did on earth for Christ was worth it. And you'll finally feel the weight of what Paul communicates in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 18. He says, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Integrity Church, we boast in ourselves so often because we're so desperate for approval. But if we are in Christ, if we're believers, if we're made new, we have all the approval that matters. What is that? When God looks at you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. How can we say that? Is anything we did? No. He sees what God sees is the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. He sees his son who he sent to the world, born of a virgin, who lived the perfect and sinless life, who was tempted in every way that we're tempted, yet did not sin, 
who bled and died innocently in our place, the one who conquered the penalty of sin, which is death, through breaking open the tomb and resurrecting from the grave. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our work. He sees what Christ has done on our behalf through sacrificially dying in our place. That is what it means to be approved by God. And so when God sees that, he says, well done. You're approved. What else do we have to boast in? Why do we feel like we need to boast in ourselves? We already have the approval from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God Almighty has given you all the approval that you'll ever need. Why are we addicted to boasting in ourselves? And so this morning, we have this challenge as we read Paul's letter. We want to live a life that boasts in Jesus. So how do you start? Let me tell you how to start. Here's how you can boast in Christ. Share the good news of Jesus. Share the good news of Jesus. Make your life about positioning your whole self around the gospel. Make your life about Jesus. You want your life to matter? Be content with the, as Paul says, the limits that God has placed on you to share Jesus where he has you right now. Don't wait for this magical thing to happen in your life before, it, before you begin to share Christ. Do it now. Do it now. As we just read in Paul's letter and John's description of heaven, everyone is boasting in the Lord. What a sight that we'll see but that our minds can't even ponder right now. But guess what? We can experience a picture of that now by us Integrity Church believers leaving this place today and going out in the world and sharing the gospel and boasting in Jesus. So Integrity Church, might we be the church where every member is a missionary? God help us. Let's pray. Jesus.